Thank you for tuning into Sochcast. We hope you enjoy this uninterrupted listening experience. But before that, please do listen to these messages that come from those that support your favorite show. Raj Naik's talk show Fridays Live features high-profile guests from various walks of life who engage in a free-flowing and inspiring chat with him. Welcome to Fridays Live with me, Raj Naik. My guest is a man who spent all his life with horses, and he still does. He has this beautiful boutique stable on a beach in a small fishing village in a place called Nargol in Gujarat, where he has sixteen horses, and he does training there. It's called the Sea Horse Equestrian Training Center. Please join me as I welcome India's only. Equestrian Olympian Imtiaz Anis to Friday's Live. Imtiaz, hi Raj. Thank you so much for having me on the show. No, nice to see you. It's been a long time, and uh, I uh, just noticed that you released your new book, and uh, that's when I said it's time for us to connect and uh, take it forward. I'm looking forward to the chat. You know, I love horses, and all my life I've dreamt about riding a horse. Or seen them in a movie, but it's never happened. So my first question to you is: At what age, up to what age, at what age can one learn riding a horse? There is no age. You can learn to ride at any time you want. It's all about uh, what you want in life. You know, uh, even competing at the international level. We have, as of as we are speaking today, we have a sixty-year-old competing at the Olympic Games uh, from Australia. So age has uh, got no no re- uh, reason for you to not get on a horse. No, but uh, but somebody who's competed at sixty obviously is raced all his life. I would assume. Yes. Right? Not that yes. he started. No, but at least I'm, what I'm trying to say is that they can even be as competitive at that age. So even if you want to start your riding, as long as you have uh, you want to do it and you're fit, uh, you can get on a horse. And you don't need that kind of fitness like running a race or running a marathon or anything like that. You know, just general. Uh, and how safe is it? Well, it depends. Uh, again, to learn to ride, it's it's safe. Uh, when you're competing at the top level, national level, and the sport that I did, which was the discipline that I did, was three-day riding, that is dangerous because you're doing it at a very high speed over a lot of fences. Uh, but for just generally learning to ride, uh, I really recommend it for everybody because it's a wonderful feeling to be on a horse. Yeah, I can imagine. I mean, the only time I ever sat on a horse, probably when I was a little boy, in some. Fair or something, they may miss it on that. <laughs> went for a chakar. But, but that's where it all starts. You know, it starts in a fair, then it starts usually at a hill station, then it starts, then it goes to a holiday. But uh, you know. So tell me, when did your love affair with horses start? Mine started at a very young age. I was only four years old, and my grandfather and my mother took me to the riding club because they both were avid horse lovers themselves, and they used to ride. And right from then, I had this affinity with horses. I just loved them, loved them. I used to hug them, brush them. I couldn't ride them because I was too small, and I was waiting for that stage. You know, I mean, once in a while, my grandfather would put me on just for a walk, uh, and I was totally comfortable, fearless. And uh, where was this? I mean, in Mumbai? Yeah, in Mumbai at the uh, racecourse, the Mahalakshmi racecourse. You mentioned your parents were horse lovers. What did they do? Well, they were both. Uh, I mean, my father was a businessman. He uh, worked in a shipping company, and my mother was, uh, you know, those days. I mean, she was a working woman. She had a couple of jobs. She was very creative. So uh, she was in, uh, you know, designing cane furniture. Uh, she was in interiors, uh, traveling tourism. Uh, so horses were just something as a hobby. And who encouraged you to 
I mean, was it somebody else in the family who was into racing or uh, riding horses or no, things no, like that? No, no, no. Just, just, my, uh, just, my, uh, just my mom. You know, she loved to ride, and uh, you know, she would go and ride every morning. And I would be up, you know, at whatever time it took, you know, at six o'clock in the morning, uh, at a very young age, and ready, uh, ready to go with her. So what, what does it take to be her horse rider at that age? Because I know a lot of youngsters today are taking on to riding horses. Yes, I mean, actually, to be speaking, at that stage, the only thing you need is not to be, uh, not to have fear. Nothing else. Everything else is fine. We, you know, you can learn to ride very easily. It's like riding a, uh, like riding a bicycle. You know, uh, if you don't have a fear of falling. You can learn to ride a bicycle very easily, and the good part, just like riding a bicycle, once you learn to ride, you you know it forever. It's not something you have to refresh or you know keep doing every year. Once you know to ride, it sticks with you. And uh, how expensive is it? Well, it depends. Again, there are lots of now smaller riding clubs in smaller towns. So uh, you know, I think it's a matter of priority. I don't look at it expensive because you know even if you look at a sport like tennis, it can be very expensive. Depends on how much you want to put into the shoes and the rackets. So you know, the same with any any sport. Uh, it depends upon what your budget is, but I think it's now getting more and more affordable for people to to, to experience uh, riding as a sport. So, if I ask you in your life, who's been your biggest influence? Well, very easy, very easy. My biggest influence has been my coach. I was very lucky, right? Because I had a coach who I had when I was 11 years old, and she took me to the Olympic Games. So for 20 years, I stuck with the same coach. We had no hiccups, never a misunderstanding, never a disagreement. Uh, so she was really everything at that in, in that point of my life. Even till today, if I any move I make, I do not uh, you know I always run it by her or I call her. You know, she was an English lady, and uh, it just so happened that you know how you get uh, uh, expats come to India. So her husband was posted in India, and she was one of the top riders. But she was just more than a rider. You know, someone you look up to. She was real mentor. She was extremely well read. She was extremely well traveled. Uh, you know, when I was a young little boy, I would always say, when I grow up, I want to be like Diana. Her name was Diana. Yes. Yeah. And uh, for 20 years you stayed with, I mean, yeah, she was your, she, she lived in India all along? No, she lived in India for about six years, uh, mm -hmm. so the initial part, and then she went back to England and we kept in touch. And whenever I went, started going international, I went to Australia, she used to fly from England to Australia just to coach me and be at major events, uh, wherever it was, where it was in Australia, whether it was America. And you know what the best part was, right? She did it without anything in return. There was no money exchange, you know? It was because she loved uh, my parents for what they did for her when she was in India, you know, coming from uh, the English countryside. She was dropped into Mumbai city. She was a bit of a shock to her system. And, uh, you know, she became really good friends with the family. And we really looked after her as a, as a family member. And uh, so she was just extended family, but just such a wonderful person. So what was your journey like? I mean, right, you, when you were young, you, you started riding at the age of what age? I started riding when I was five years old. I was already winning competitions when I was six and seven, uh, you know, and, uh, and then it just grew from then. And then my parents got a bit scared because they thought, you know, this fellow is only going to become, uh, that's all he does. He needs to have a little bit of education. So it's full, uh, you know, not, not, not uh, easy for, a, you know, a privileged boy from Bombay to go to boarding school. Uh, but it made me who I am, you know, it, it really made a man of me, you know. So where did you go? I went to a school called Lawrence School, Sana. So I did and six years in Sana. Seven years, seven years in Sinai. And obviously there was no horse riding there, was it? No, no. So only riding the holidays. Uh, it's in the book, you know, as you come back from my school holidays and literally we should get off the train and the train should arrive at like five o'clock in the morning and my parents would have my riding clothes already in the car. You know, it was the first 10 minutes was all about my parents and then it was, let take me to my horses. 
So when did you decide to then become, take this as a profession? So as time went by, you know, uh, Raj, it's a bit of a, again, it's a lot in the book, but it was always my desire to represent India at that international level. You know, I used to give victory speeches and I was, you know, always, uh, you know, uh, you know, thank you speeches to everybody about how I'm going to thank everybody when I represent India. So it was always a dream. I didn't even know which sport at that time. You know, when I was when I was in school, uh, I was a good runner. So I thought I'd do it in athletics. You know, at that time, Carl Lewis was a very good runner. And, uh, you know, he had won five gold medals. I thought if he can win five, I can definitely win one. Uh, then later on, I realized I wasn't fast enough. And then I went, I was a good swimmer. Also. You know, I swam for school and college. And I thought if swimming, uh, you know, Mark Spitz could win, you know, whatever, seven or nine gold medals at that time. I could definitely win one. So things like that kept coming. Because my goal was always to represent India. Then with the horses always being in the background, that's when I realized after I finished school that this is what I really want to do. And I started competing nationally and, you know, I had some good wins. And then I was in the junior category and then went international and, and then history happened. So it was just uh, one thing led to the other. And how do you, I mean, you owned your own horse, I presume, right? This is quite interesting. But I didn't. I never owned my own horse. So uh, right up to actually uh, the, uh, my final run to the Olympic Games, I never really owned a horse except for my very first horse, which is Rajesh, which is actually owned by my parents. But by, my, for myself, I was always given horses. It's just amazing. I mean, it's really a lovely story about how many people came together to make this dream come true. At every stage, I had wonderful people who gave me horses to ride and I would compete and I would win on their horses and it gave them joy and gave me horses and I, and I had horses. You want to elaborate a bit, acknowledge these people and talk about absolutely, them? Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, it was just wonderful. I mean, right from the first early stages, I had a, you know, now he's a brigadier in the army, you know, uh, Brigadier Bishnoi, and he had, was, had the most amazing jumping horses and he used to ride in the senior category. So the junior category, his children didn't ride at that time. So he would just, you know, he just, uh, you know, literally adopted me and said, you know, ah, all these horses are yours. So I used to compete with juniors and his horses. I was very fortunate even because of Sanaa, I had a lot of, you know, old Sanaarians were all in the 61st Cavalry. So a lot of these cavalry officers like Colonel Rupi Bra, Colonel Pickle Sodi, you know, they were really good riders at, in, in, in their time, but they, none of their children rode. And since I was a Sanaarian, there was some connection to them, to me from the school and to the family. Whenever I went to all these national competitions, they would just give me horses from the, and I would ride these horses. So throughout the, and then when I went international, that was even, even more amazing. You know, I was in Australia and I had people, you know, I would ride different people's horses because I couldn't afford my own. And when I came to competition time, they would say, no, uh, you know, you ride them. So I even won my first international competition on a horse owned by somebody else. And uh, you migrated to Australia for some time, right? How did that happen? Well, I guess I realized that, you know, in our events, uh, because of the question, uh, there's no uh, top level competitions, in India, unfortunately, you know, so we only have it. I'm just giving an example to get technical goes on stars. So there's only one star is in India and then there's two, three, four uh, and now it's five to go to the Olympic Games. So you have to go abroad to even qualify. And uh, I just thought Australia had won the last, it was, it was all calculated. Australia had won the last two gold medals. I said, obviously, they know what they're doing. Uh, the next Olympic Games are in Australia. So that makes me even easier than if I do get a horse, I won't have, to have the expense of flying it. So that's how I decided that I'm going to leave home, leave family, leave everything I knew and, you know, and made a huge sacrifice and decided that I'm going to start this whole Olympic bid in Australia. And uh, were you married then? Uh, no, no. No, no, you're not. Uh, you know, single-minded, single goal. Just one thing: just get to the Olympics. That was my o o o only goal in life. But did you did you uh, ride horses for commercial purpose? I mean, like racing? No, no, never. I never, uh, never. I wasn't a jockey. 
So racehorse is totally different. We're always equestrian. Uh, we did amateur racing when I was young, you know, at 11 and 12 years old, it was like, which is called the Bombay Gymkhana races. Only amateurs uh, took part, no professionals. And I wasn't in racing at all. I was always in equestrian. So just for a layman like me who doesn't understand, yes. you know, except for, uh, like I said, I love horses. <laughs> <laughs> I, what is the difference between a jockey and an equestrian? So a jockey is a, is a person or a rider that rides race horses in races. You know, the flat races that you see, like the Derby and the uh, Thousand Guineas, Two Thousand Guineas, the Oaks. You know, what you see the flat races at in Mahalakshmi or even at, if you're, you know, at the Ascot and things like that. So there's totally different uh, build. Uh, they have to be very lightweight uh, because their handicap is done on weight. So they're called jockeys, those who ride in flat races. And, uh, you know, for that, for, in, in, it's a totally different sport. Our sport is a question, which is an Olympic discipline. It, there's dressage, there's show jumping, and there's a thing, uh, and there's an event called three-day eventing, which is, and that's the discipline that I did, which actually incorporates all three. It incorporates dressage, cross country, and show jumping. So it's actually like a triathlon that you do over three days on one horse. Uh, so that's all equestrian. So racing is completely different. And obviously, did you at any moment in your life consider being a jockey because there's an adrenaline rush, right? Racing. Absolutely. But even in the cross country, there's an adrenaline rush. But of course I did. When I was young, that's why I was sent to boarding school because I was scared I was going to become a jockey, you know? And they said, no, 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 they didn't want, I want, to, they didn't want me to become a jockey. So uh, that was one of the things on their mind that maybe we should send him. But when I was very, very young, I used to work the racehorses and, you know, in, in, in morning and just for exercise, but never rode uh, in an actual race. Interesting. So what do you look for in a horse? Ah, that's a good question. Good question. Uh, well, you know, the first thing we always look for, I always say there are three things that you have to look in a horse. And the most important thing is temperament first. So temperament first, soundness second, and abilities third. And people always get it mixed up. Now I'll explain that. So first thing is temperament. They have to have a good work ethic and good mind, just like humans. You know, those who always uh, are toppers, uh, they're not always the most successful people in life. You know what I mean? You've got to be the work ethic ones, you know, the ones that actually show up to work every day, consistent, you know, as we always used to say in school and college, the second row and third row, third benches, they could be more successful than the first benches, you know. <laughs> so that's the sure. temperament. It's very important for them to have to the mindset and the work ethic. Uh, and every successful person, that's one thing they do have, right? It's the work ethic. The second thing what I talked about is soundness. Now, that's a bit of a technical term, but is that there should be... Uh, no injuries, you know. So when you look at the conformation, it, they should not have a little bit of a, you know, uh, un, they should be in proportion. You know, they should have a, everything should be in proportion. So you can think like this is an athlete. Like you look at people and say, well, this is an athletic body and this person doesn't have an athletic body. So same with horses. When we look at horses, we know what looks athletic and what is an athletic, you know. So that's very, very important to keep the longevity of the horse for in the sport. Because when we're training, we don't want them to knuckle down or break down or have injuries while we push them and put the pressure on. Because then it all gets wasted and we have to start back from scratch. And to me, which a lot of people put before, but I always put ability last. Because if they've got the brain and they've got the mental, physical ability to do it, you've got more than 70% there. Then, of course, they have to have a little bit of ability and talent. Like I always say in life, hard work always beats talent. That's true. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. At what age? Because you you get the horse when it's grown up or when it's still a... So they're all different stages. Some people breed them and they, and they break them in and start them from the age of young age of three-year-olds. 
Some of them actually, uh, you know, get them at a bit older age when they've gone through a couple of other trainers and they've done the initial stage. So everybody has a different balance, you know, depending upon what's available, depends upon your price range. The younger you get them, they're a little cheaper. The, the older you get them, they're a little bit more experienced, so they'll be a little bit more expensive. Uh, you know, so it just depends upon what fits your budget, what fits your timing and what fits your goal. So everybody's different. And tell me what, what, is, the, uh, what is the hardest thing that you have to do Besides just learning how to ride the horse, right? Yes. In the what, are the other things, what, what are the other things that one has to do? Because people only see people sitting on horses riding. It looks very glamorous and things like that. But I'm sure there's a lot of hard work that goes behind uh, in preparation. So, of know, in our sport, care of the horse itself, right? Yes. So the management is everything, you know. And this is what I started this school, which is Seahorse Equation, is to teach that more than a lesson. So everybody can get a riding lesson. You can go anywhere and get a riding lesson, but it's the other part that is really, really important. I actually have done an equine uh, degree in it, you know? So in Australia, I actually studied and did an equine course just to learn horse management because there's so much. You've got to know the anatomy of the horse. You've got to know the kinesiology of the horse. You've got to know how it works so that we can have, it's an athlete as well. And it's got to perform at peak, just like you've got to perform at peak performance, you know. So there's a there's a lot extra that we have to do, even looking after them. Even at the top level, when you're competing, the horses get a massage, they get acupuncture, they get laser therapy. We ice them all the time, uh, you know. So it's all important to keep them as fit as us. Nutrition is a huge big, uh, huge factor in equestrian. Uh, you know, we got to time the uh, nutrition as to when they when we feed, how much we feed. Is it too much protein? Is it too much carbs? Do we need to put fat into the diet? So it's all calculated. It's all very quite scientific. Very fascinating. So what is your routine like in a day? My routine? Now or the Olympics? <laughs> no. We'll come to the Olympics later. Generally, okay. what routine? Now, routine? my routine is I get up every morning at 5, five o'clock. 5.15 it would be my, uh, you know, uh, I'm at the stable at 5.30 every morning. And uh, we, have, uh, we ride horses and I ride uh, a few horses. Even now at the age of 50, I ride at least two to three horses every morning. And then I teach. So we have students that stay with us on a long-term basis because they have, uh, you know, national and international goals. We have students that just come for the weekend. We have students that just come for fun. So it just depends upon what your requirement is. We cater to all and we make a schedule the night before for that morning. We try and finish all the horses in the morning and then we have a quick break, have some breakfast and then we finish again another lot of horses. Uh, And then it's all to do with management, bathing, stretching, brushing, bandaging you know all that uh, takes place and and then we uh, and then and, and and the feeding i never miss a feed um, or even though i have staff that can feed my horses i'm always there so that I, I, we know for sure if, how much each horse gets uh, whether it's protein whether it's carbohydrate how much fat we're adding to it uh, what vitamins and minerals are going so it's a huge process in the afternoon i take a couple of hours nap I'm, I'm too exhausted because I, 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 you know, but then in the evening, we start back again. So the horses that couldn't get finished in the morning, we do them in the evening. I do more lessons in the evening and teaching. And then in, uh, uh, we again go back to the whole routine for the horses. And then we do theory. I sit down and we actually put pen and, and paper down and we actually go through, uh, you know, the, the students choose the topic. I always ask them, you choose the topic. And then we discuss it. Each one will have their views and we go back and forth about, you know, whether it's on on fitness, whether it's on aerobic and anaerobic, or whether it's on, you know, what bits to use, what gear to use. There's so many, so many topics that we can learn on with regard to the horses. So we spend a lot of time and we choose a topic. Uh, and then uh, I'm an early, early, uh, early to bed. So uh, 
much to my my wife. She's always, you know, because we're in this small fishing village and she's from Mumbai, so she always says, you know, it's nine o'clock and you're already getting ready to bed. You know, I mean, this, you know, you're not you're not hundred. <laughs> <laughs> no, but no, I saw some pictures. A friend of mine had posted the pictures from uh, from Nargol from the beach, and I was like mesmerized with what it is. So how how why did you choose Nargol? Nargol is a very special place. Ever since we were young, we were about ten years old. My parents had a property. And it's a beach property, and uh, so we always grew up there. We were in school and college, and our friends. So it was always a special place for us. But then I went overseas to train, you know, and and compete. And after 25 years, I've now returned back. Actually, nearly 30 years, I've returned back to India. And I decided that that property is there. Why not? Uh, you know, it was such a special part of our lives while growing up. Why not make it the question place instead of going somewhere else? So that's where the whole thing started. You know, we already have the home there. We built the stables. We've got 16 stables, and we have the beach that we can train on. And what's even more important, coming back to the management, is that we have the salt water. So we do great salt water therapy. So the days that they jump, after that the horses can go straight in for a swim, or they can go get you know cold water on their legs. Uh, so it's fantastic therapy as well. So it works both ways. And do you speak to your horses? All the time. All the time. I'm always talking to them. Even at night, after we have after have dinner, I always make a round of. Uh, you know, of the stables. You know, just to check their waters, or check their hay, check the stable, and I will pet each horse and have a little chat with them. Each one is special. You know, they all mean a lot to me. You know, it, our sport is so amazing that it's not about the end result. You know, we, everybody goes wants to win, but it, it's the journey. And you know, we have horses as part of it, so it just makes it even more special than just having a tennis racket or a cricket bat. Are you the only son to your parents, or you got siblings? I have siblings. I have a daughter. I have a daughter. I have a sister, and uh, she also uh, used to ride and uh, was a quite a good rider as well. Not as competitive as me, but she also. So it was a family sport. We all rode. To, you know, mum rode. I rode. My sister rode when we were young. So it was really uh, some great times and great memories. So tell me about. Let's come to your. Uh, we'll go to Olympics a little later because that's the <laughs> uh, final thing. So tell me about uh, your family now. My family now. I have a son. Uh, his name is Zamir. He's a very good. Uh, he also loves sport. Uh, plays a lot of tennis and uh, plays football. Uh, he's not much of a rider. Uh, just rides because dad rides. So he knows how to ride. So he comes and uh, spends the you know his holidays and weekends in Nargol uh, from Mumbai, and it's wonderful. So he can ride on the beach and we can ride together and bond. Uh, we play a lot of sport together, so it's just wonderful. You know, it's just really nice that because you know after a certain age, when they become of you know, as, as, as most people know, when you're a teenager, 16, the communication gets less and less. It becomes into monosyllables. You know, like how are we doing? Good. Mm -hmm. You know, how's school? Fine. You know, it's like that's you know, if you get one word, you're like really lucky. You know, mostly it's usually a, a nod, and that's that also is enough. But when we can play sport together, it's really fun. So I'm really lucky and blessed that I'm still fit enough that we can play any sport. So whether it's tennis or whether it's uh, squash. Uh, football, uh, you know, even carrom. It doesn't matter. When they were sitting down, we were very competitive as a family. The whole family, mum, dad, myself, and my wife. We all play uh, board games or we play uh, games together. Uh, I have a lovely wife, uh, Zinat, and so she's very, very supportive. It's not very easy for her as well. You know, it's a lot of sacrifices that people have to make when you want to live these this life. You know, she's a city girl, lives in Mumbai all her life. You know, uh, in the corp uh, in the Communication world, so uh, you know, corporate world is always active, fast, buzzing, you know, and uh, and now she's in this small fishing village where nothing happens, absolutely nothing. The only the only thing that moves are my horses. <laughs> nothing has moved, so it's a change of life, change of lifestyle, and you know, we spend a lot of time together, but it's different, you know. Uh, mom and dad are still uh, great supporters. You know, mom's always so, and dad both are very proud of the book and you know, telling all their friends about it. 
So I'm very blessed, you know, all through my life, I've had just wonderful, wonderful support from everybody. And I always tell people, if you want to be a sportsman, even though we play an individual sport, it's a bit like car racing, you know, when you, you know, you're a driver, you drive your car by yourself, but it's, you know, you can only win how fast your, uh, the pit changes the tires, you know, so you, it's, it's a, you, know, you still need the right team, uh, even though it's an individual sport, so same in equestrian. Even if it's just you riding, you need good farriers, you need good vets, you need good, uh, you know, body workers, you need just moral support as well because there's so much mental strain as well. Uh, so you mentioned you need vets and things like that. So, what kind of infrastructure or medical facilities you have in place like Nargol or you bring them back to Mumbai when you have to uh, them? So, actually, I, I can do most of the medical stuff. So, uh, okay. I can give all the, you know, all the, back, all the injections, IVs, drips uh, are all done by me. Uh, yeah, again, because I'm not sure whether you're aware, but horses, uh, you know, their, their feet, they need to get shoes every uh, every month. Uh, so we call it a farrier. So the farrier is the one, but I'm lucky because of the footing being so good in Nargol, I keep my horses barefoot. And uh, we get a farrier who comes and trims them, so a bit like a manicure, pedicure every month. So we're lucky that he's very good and he's actually a wonderful man. His name is uh, uh, MD, we call him MD, and he's actually uh, trained in Germany and trained in uh, Australia. And guess where he lives? In Surat, like three hours away from Nargol. I was like, oh my God, I hit, I hit the uh, you know, uh, gold mine. So he comes and he's a wonderful man and spends time and trims their horses and gets their feet looking really good because that's something that's only, uh, you know, it's important and has to be done professionally. So I'm uh -huh. lucky in, in the veterinary side. How did you locate him? Oh, just through contacts and friends, you know, people and con uh, people were, I have a, a wonderful friend from uh, Jack Loop uh, who actually owns an, a, a riding school in Pune and um, uh, Rohan and uh, I, he, he was holding a show and asked me to come as a judge and MD was there as well as the farrier. So he introduced us and, you know, I said, where do you live? And he said, Surat. I said, I, can't be, I, I, I don't believe this, you know. So, you know, this is what I love about the whole journey. It's amazing how people come. Uh, come together, you know, just you meet wonderful people throughout. I'm sure you've met many in this talk show as well. It's just, you know, you just don't know so, uh, you know, so much about those people. And when you get to know, uh, meet them, you realize, wow, what a small world we live in. Yeah, actually, I mean, I so many of my friends on this show, I mean, I've got to know more about them from the show than, yes. than otherwise. I'm, I'm <laughs> so, so, do you know the names of all your horses? Absolutely. <laughs> all 16 of them. Absolutely, 100 yeah. All 16. I know the horses from the very first horse I rode when I was five years old. <laughs> that, that's my life. It's all about the horses. Everything is about the horses. Uh, even in, in, my, in my stables um, in Argol, I have a placard, a, a brass plaque in every stable for the horses that meant to me. So they're not even the names of the horses that are in the stable. It's the horses that actually made me. So right from my first horse to my Olympic horse has a has a stable named after him. Yeah, there's somebody. I'm just trying to see somebody whether some question had come up. Okay, now continue. Okay. So you know, even even in uh, my st stables in uh, Nargol, every stable is named after a horse that meant something to me in my life. So my first Olympic Games, my first World Championships, Asian Games, nationals, uh, internationals, or even my first riding horse. Every horse has its. Uh, uh, name, uh, you know, as a brass plaque on their stable because it's all about the horses. I mean, that's what we, what we do. We, you know, we're sportsmen, but uh, they're, they're, uh, you know, they're the sportsmen. We just sit there and uh, look pretty and get all the glamour. <laughs> and what's the lifespan of a horse? So the lifespan of a horse, uh, you know, it, so it's quite nice. So I come back to your question of racing and equestrian. So in racing, the lifespan is between two to five. So usually, you know, like you run the derby at three years old, 
and then by four and five they retire. So unless they're a stallion or a mare that's really good for breeding, they go back into breeding. And otherwise they go into equestrian or they go into polo or they go into the riding school. So from five, they can go all the way up to 20. Some can live to 24, but usually I would say 18 is when they, you know, you can still ride them. Then anything about 18, it's a plus, you know, but between five to 24. And do you go visiting some of your old horses? Unfortunately, none of my, because we've, we've traveled all over the world now, you know, so I, none of my horses are alive and, you know, they may be in different parts of the world. So that's, uh, you know, that's life. That must be quite uh, uh, sad when you have to depart, right? When you have oh, to leave. Oh, very, very, you can see, I, if you read, when you read the book, you'll know, I mean, they were heartbreaks, heartbreaks. I miss them so much. Was there any particular horse that was very special to you? Ah, uh, now you can't. They all were. It's like, you know, who do you like more, mom or dad? <laughs> Each and every one was very, very special. Very special. But if you have to choose one, it, I would say two would be Rajesh because that was my very, very first horse. And I had this amazing bond with him. You know, I was really little. I, even my, when I sat on the saddle, my legs were not even long enough to go ar- around the saddle. You know, I was that little, you know. And he still did everything for me and never, ever did anything, never put a foot wrong. And then, of course, my Olympic horse because, you know, he took me to the biggest event that any sportsman could ever dream of. And you know what the beauty of it is that it wasn't a male horse. We both learned together. Like most people are buying horses that are already international level or national level. Both him and me were going up the grades from two, three, four. We did it all together. So we were learning together as well. So, you know. Both of both us were extremely inexperienced. It was just trust that we had for each other. And what was his name? Spring Invader. Spring Invader. And uh, Diana was with you through all this journey? Through all the journey. Olympics. Yes, 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 yes. And the world, after the Olympics, two years later, I, was, uh, I went to the World Championships in Spain and she was there. She's always been there. She's uh, just been amazing. So tell me about your stay in Australia. Well, my stay in Australia was quite, again, amazing because uh, I uh, went there to train and I went to one of the stables and, you know, things, all things, you know, as you know, a lot of failures happen. I got a whole, it's all in the book, so I'm going to give you little snippets and things fell apart and, you know, I had lots of failures and problems happen and, again, I'm not going to tell you what what it is. You have to read the book to do it. But, again, there I had an angel, you know, just like how I had Diana in India. I had a family, Australian family, and they were really senior senators, you know. Uh, You know, he was a senior senator. She was from a, you know, bureaucrat family. And uh, they were from the early settlers of Australia. So, you know, they've actually, their name has been written in the history book of Australia. So a very prominent family. And they just took a liking to me. And when they saw me and realized what a situation I was in, one day she just came in a car and said, that's it. You're coming and staying with me till the Olympic Games. I, I lived with them for three years. And, you know, they just supported me, looked after me. And, I, you know, they had kids. I, I was just like one extended family. I, you know, I got into the house and the next day she was giving me orders. You pick up so-and-so, you drop so-and-so, you know. You're in charge of this and you're in charge of that. And I was just a part of the family. I was not an outsider. I was treated just like one of them. It was just amazing. I mean, it was just, and, you know, I always tell people uh, behind every successful man, there's a woman. I had, I was lucky at that time I had three. So I really could fail. You know, I had my mother, I had Diana and I had uh, Beverly MacArthur. So when you have three uh, strong women like this, you, you can't really fail. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. So what was your, uh, you had to prepare for the Olympics for how long? Four years. Four years. Yeah, every year you train to, to move the level higher, you know, because it's not only at that level that you're at four years. If you can be at that level for four years, that would be wonderful. But I never had that opportunity because I had not, you know, trained. I, I, I came from India, so I never ridden at that level. But most people are riding at the four-star level for four years and then they go to the Olympics. For me, I, only, I was at the four-star level only for a year but because I was still at the one-star level when I left uh, India. So when I went to Australia, I did my one, then I did my two, 
and then I did three, and then got you know. So it took took me a little bit of uh, you know. I had to do every like a bit like a crash course. Like in tennis, you you know when you win the Wimbledon or you win uh, the US, you you get money, right? I mean, yes. until then you have to spend everything from your own pocket for the yes, coach. Yes, yes. How how different is it for? So in the questions, it's uh, we don't win money at all, ever. So there's no money in a sport. It's only only uh, you get a, you get a, a ribbon or a sachet. So it's all funded by yourself. So again, I was very very fortunate. I had the most amazing sponsor, uh, Mr. Kushu Danji Boy. You know, he's passionate about horse racing. It wasn't even a question, but he loved the horse. He just loved horses. And when he saw that passion in me, he just said, uh, you know, uh, you know, he just supported me all throughout. And we had lots of failures. A lot of times, I was. You know, just ready to come back, and I said, "This is not for me," or "I can't do it," or "I didn't have the right horse," or you know, horses got injured, and he just stood by me and said, "Just keep pushing and don't give in." So you know, all these people—I had Diana on one side supporting me, I had my parents on one side supporting me, and then I had you know Beverly in Australia, and then I had uh, Mr. Danji Boy, who's you know saying, you know, just stay with it. So I was very lucky, very lucky. So. Do you think that's also one of the reason that a lot of people don't take up to the sport? Well, I don't But know whether that, that could be one of the reasons. I don't think that's the reason. That's a thing in the middle because once they get into the sport, they realize it's not only fine. I mean, you look at it in my way also. I till I went to Australia, I never had my own horse, so it was still possible. It's about how you behave, uh, how your work ethic, your determination. I never missed a day. I never missed a training. You know, and you know, Vishnu he saw that in me. You know, Brigadier Vishnu at that time, and he said, "Wow, look at this boy. You know, he's so hardworking. I want to give him a horse." You know, so it's also your. Uh, you know, people always ask, "What came?" You know, what's first? Uh, did people come and help you, or did you go to them? You know? <laughs> but but you can't. Uh, I'm just playing devil's advocate. You can't. Yes, uh, uh, you can't uh, assume that people will come and help you. So how do you then? Prepare that you have. I want to be like Imtiaz. Yes. Okay. I don't know whether I have the same luck as Imtiaz, but I want to yes. be like Imtiaz. I'm willing to work hard. I'm willing to do yes. everything. But how do I sustain myself? Because I can't live on love and fresh air. But uh, that's what I say. You know, I always believe that if you want to do it, you know, it, it is possible. Because in our sport, we have a lot of things where because all these stables are very big stables who are equestrian stables, and you have to work in those stables. So if you want to work ethic, it will happen. It happened to me, and it happened to every other rider. Even the top riders in Europe or in Australia, they've all started from scratch. Not not everybody's just pouring money in, and nobody, not everybody's got major funding and things like that, right? So if you go to a stable, you start working. You, I mean, I clean stables. I worked in. I mean, my parents won't didn't even know the things that I did, and it's in the book. You know, I slept in stables for months for that one riding lesson, which is free because of the work I did. Then eventually, through that, somebody gave me a horse and said, "Well, look at the man. You know, he's you know he works so hard." Yeah, you can ride my horse, or you can. It happens to everybody because people are looking for people. Most people have ten and twelve horses; they can't ride them all. Like my stable, I have now twelve horses. I've got boys and girls who are staying with me and riding. If I find the right horse and the right work ethic, I will let them compete on my horses. You know, give them that opportunity. So there's a platform for that. But I don't believe this that you know. Oh well, I don't have enough money. I don't have enough because you never have enough money. Whatever you want to do today, you want to buy a thirty-inch TV. You then next time you want a sixty-inch. If you want sixteen, you want a bigger one. So you never have enough money. Same with you, have enough uh, time. Nobody has time. Everybody in India says, "I, uh, you know, time is here." No, no, no. This thing you make your time. You know, <laughs> if you want something, you make it work for yourself. Go and get it. Figure out a plan. You know, you have to start getting out of the comfort zone. This is our biggest problem. I feel this in today's kids and today's generation is, you know, everything is in the comfort zone. Everything is given to them in a platter. You know, you got to be hungry for it a bit. Yeah. So tell me, what was what was the most difficult part of your Olympic journey? 
I think the I would say one of the most difficult part I would say is uh, being away from family and friends. It's very lonely. It's a lonely part. You know, it's not easy. You got to be you know, so so single minded. Uh, I miss that a lot. I really miss. I, I mean, you know, you know, four years of that age when you're in your twenty twenty five, you got all your friends and everybody's going out partying and meeting. Not that 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 the person I was, but sometimes you just wanted to have a chat with a friend or just wanted to go for a coffee or you know spend time with your parents. I didn't have that, you know. So I miss that. So I think that was hard. I mean, every, if I go into the training, everybody trains hard. If I go into the riding, everybody had to do that, you know. So, but for me, they didn't have to leave their home and family to do that. And most people do it for a month, two months. I was there for three, four years, and you know, long stretch to be away from everything that you knew, everything that was comfortable, everything that that was you. You know, I, I'm very Indian in every aspect. Even though I've lived overseas all my life, I, I am Indian. You know, I love Indian food and I love being in uh, being at home. And so I missed that part. You know, it was it was a hard a hard time. So uh, I'm so glad it happened. You know, and uh, you know, I reached the goal. So what was what was your feeling when you when you qualified and you won? No, I think uh, when I qualified, it was it was just amazing. I mean, I, it, you feel like on top of the world, you know. I really felt that because again, uh, you know, it's been uh, it was it's a childhood dream, you know. Then it became even bigger when I actually got to ride because our sport is quite technical uh, and very very difficult, very dangerous, and most people don't complete it. So having completed the cross country, that itself was another accomplishment because I would be the first Indian to have actually completed it, you know, because they have there was an Indian uh, equestrian rider from the army. Who had gone to the Olympics before me, but had not completed the course, you know. So for me to have completed it, that's what really made a huge difference. Because then I said, "All right, you know, that's that was a real accomplishment for me." You know? And uh, is it that you do once? Did you, did you try to go back to Olympics? Yes, yes, of course. So the next two years of the World Championships, so my horse was ready and fit. So again, I was, uh, you know, the first to compete in a, in three day event uh, all at the World Championships for India. So that was another feather in my hat, and I just felt so proud, you know. Uh, to do that, you know, because it was all about India, and I, I was on the same horse, Prem Invada. So it was a lovely partnership that we had, you know. Uh, and then after that, I mean, just to give you an example, I'm sorry to diverse a little bit. Oh, please, you, say, you know, how, 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 how do you get how do you get how do you get the money? It's same like that. I was training in Australia, and I, and and the, and and the world champs in Spain. I mean, how am I going to fly my horse from America to Spain? But people came. I mean, like there was a, a guy. He said, "You know, how much is going to cost?" I said, "Well, it's going to cost so much." He said, no, "Don't worry. Let's figure it out. We'll get some of my friends. You know, we all play golf. We find some buddies and we we'll try and put some money together." Then somebody else said something else, and then I was, you know, when I was competing, I made lots of friends. I made friends with the Canadian team. The Canadian team said, "No, no, just put your horses one of ours, uh, and and we we are flying our horses. We'll just take yours as well. Not to worry." So it just happens. People help. People get together. People, you know, it's just amazing how this universe comes together when you have your goal, which is true and. Which is honest, and it's how you your relationships. You know, it's not like uh, you know you, if you're arrogant and you're you know late and you're always uh, you know lazy or you're always yeah people don't want to help people like that. You know, so but if you're always on time, you're always helpful, you're always one uh, one step ahead, uh, it, it will happen. Uh, yeah, so that's how it happened. And then from that World Championships, I thought, okay, let's go to the next Olympics, which is in Greece, and I qualified for that as well. But unfortunately, I had a different horse by then. Spring Invader was getting old, so I had another uh, lovely horse. Uh, called Freetown, uh, little fellow, heart of gold, and he got injured. So uh, you know, I couldn't make. Uh, you know, so we were still up to standard to qualify, but we didn't make the the, the cutoff, and that's life. Oof, I mean, I'm just you know listening to you. I mean, I can you know I can see my hair rising here. It's such an amazing thing. I mean, uh, so when did you get back to India? So I got back to India uh, uh, on the last flight from Australia uh, when the pandemic started, you know, in March last year. 
so I, I really I was I, I was training in Australia and I was actually a, a part of the, the uh, junior national uh, team and I would train them and coach them. Actually, it was the first school team, so I was actually based at a school which is an equestrian school, and I was the first. They were the, it was an all girls boarding school where the girls came with their horses, and I was the trainer. And I took them international for the very first time. So we took them to Malaysia and I took them to New Zealand and we won gold out there as well. So it was a huge, uh, huge thing. So that's when that shift took place that from a rider, I became a coach and became a mentor. You know, I'm still very close to them. And then because of the pandemic, I decided to come back to India because, you know, Australia has very strict rules and I didn't know when I would be allowed to come in and come out. And my son was here, my family was here. I didn't want to be away from them. So that's when I decided to come back to India in March. And then uh, when I was here again, I was thinking whether I should go back to Australia, go back to America. You know, uh, there were quite, quite a few options open. But at that time, I really thought that uh, now this is the time to actually focus on India, uh, stay home, uh, be with the family. I've been away for so long. I really need to stay home. And, uh, and I love it. Great. So tell me, how did you meet Zenath? <laughs> Are we supposed to talk about this on uh, live? Yes, I know. <laughs> Tell me. Uh, I met Zenith when I came back from India. Uh, uh, after the, uh, when I came back in March, uh, uh, I, I met her through some common friends, uh, and we were we were actually introduced. And then we just kept in touch, and we you know started talking and chatting, and you know it was through the pandemic. And and then the book helped you know a little bit because she was you know living in her home, I was in my home, and we were all online all the time talking and discussing the book and going back and forth, and you know the relationship grew and. Uh, before you had it, she had uh, you know, moved into uh, uh, and then I decided to do Nargo. She said, oh, you know, I fully support it and let's do it. So did you always have this dream of setting setting up your own place, like, like what you have now uh, started in Nargo? In India, yes. I had my own place in, Australia, in America as well. So once I finished the World Championships, I decided that I'm going to have my own training place in the, in the US. And I did. In Atlanta, I own my own farm and train people. Uh, riders, horses, young, mainly young riders. And my main focus has always been on the youth because I just feel they're like a sponge. You know, they just want to learn all the time. And I've been, you know, I spent so much time with so many good riders and trainers because I needed to catch up. You know, I started too late. So I was very fortunate to get a lot of lessons from a lot of good people. So I had that knowledge to give give uh, give back, you know. So I started that, in, but I never did it in India. And I always wanted to. And just the timing happened. And, you know, you know it's all about timing in life. And, uh Maybe the pan, you know, I have to thank the pandemic for it. There's certain things, you know, you have to thank it for. And one of them would be, you know, is uh, starting Narbo. Yeah. And when you started, I mean, where did you get the 16 horses from? Amazing. Again, story. See, see things like this happen. You know, so I started and I said, you know, how am I going to do this? And uh, I met Mr. Danji Boy, you know, after so many years, you know, my main sponsor. And, he said, and, he, and I said, you know, this is what I want to do. He said, great idea because my granddaughter loves equestrian and I'm going to be the first to give you horses to train. So it took a whole full circle, you know. I mean, he was the one who actually uh, supported me for the Olymp Asian Games, Olympic Games, World Championships. And then I left and went overseas for, you know, 10 years. And I come back after uh, 10 years and he again comes back into my life and says, yeah, you can start your uh, thing with the first three horses came from his stud farm, Nanali stud farm. So, you know, it was just, uh, it's all meant to be. And then friends, uh, then people started talking, people started getting re realizing it and they started sending me horses and, uh, you know, next is history. Yeah, I mean, if I had to give you a name, I would call you Destiny's Child. <laughs> I'm blessed, blessed. I'm really, I'm very fortunate, very fortunate, very fortunate in life. So what are your plans now? Well, now my plan is to be honest, Raj, I mean, it would be lovely to really get as many kids to come and give them that exposure, give them that experience and hopefully get a group that can go international. 
you know, and support them to it. I mean, it's not about me. It's not about uh, like how you said this show is about you. When these kids to me come to me, it's about them. I've already been there, done it, I've achieved, and I've been so grateful with all the people that have supported me. I just feel that I need to do it for somebody else. So uh, when these kids come here, I'm always talking about how to plan, how, and every kid is different. You know, that's the difference between coaching and mentoring. You coach, you coach everybody the same, but mentoring, no. Once once the kids come and live with me, I get to know their background. I get to know how much I can push them. I get to know their finance, you know, their financial situation. I get to know their commitment. I get to know their education. You know, how much they want to do schooling. So then you mold it to what suits them. There's no point telling them, you know, everybody has to do A. No, it doesn't work like that. You know, it's not a school. It's not like you know, everybody learns one plus one is two. No, they could be half plus half plus half plus half could be. You know what I mean? You could break it up. So that's what I love doing is really mentoring these kids rather than just coaching them. I love the coaching part as well, but it's actually getting into their lives. And so that's my next goal is to hopefully take these uh, kids that I have and place them internationally with international riders for them to fly. And if you had to give a message to all the youngsters today who want to pursue this as a career, what would you say? Well, I would tell them not only this is a career, anything in life, it's the same. It doesn't matter whether it's sport, whether it's a question or anything like that. I would always tell them, get out of the comfort zone because nothing is achieved just because, oh, I play cricket because the ground next to me is very close. No, there are people who drive hours to get to the best ground. There are people who drive hours to get to the best coaches. There are people who leave a city to move to another city only to find the, the right coach, you know? So what I'm, what I'm trying to send the message, it doesn't matter in whatever you do, whether it's today, it could be sport, tomorrow it could be being a chef, uh, it could be in arts, whatever it is, find the best and train with them because there's a reason why they're the best. And they're not always about money. So you can find a way to exchange uh, work, uh, do something in return if you don't have the funding. But if you work hard enough, people will see it. The top rider, the top trainers, the top business people, they, they see, you know, when you when you intern at a, at a, at a, a business, you, you know, the top man knows who the good interns are. And he's not, he, he's not silly, right? He wants good people. So you'll be picked up if you're good. You know, you're on time. You're always there before the meeting starts. You have your papers together. You got the right file. You're, you're already halfway there. So that's what I keep telling them. Punctuality, discipline, determination. These are things that we've been told all the time when we're young, but actually put them in practice. Very nice. Like this Sochcast? Tune in for more with the Sochcast app from the Google Play Store. A Rajnayak wants to come and learn horse riding. How long it's going to take? I always tell people, if you know, just basic, at least walk, at yeah, least on a horse, you, you need at least uh, four, between, uh, four days, four to five days at a stretch. Oh, that's it. Yeah, so, it's like riding a bike. Once you get the feel of it and you get the rhythm, you've got it. And then it's practice. Then it's ours and saddle, just like driving a car or anything. Once you understand, you can drive, then you just have to drive. You know, you can't just not, not do it. Did you... Yeah, you know. Uh, uh, then you get the hang of it. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So tell me what made you write this book? Uh, writing free. Writing <laughs> well, free. I, uh, you know, I think I've already brought it up many times in this whole story, in this whole conversation that we have. But the main reason I wrote it is to tell kids to, you know, dream, have dreams, because dreams come true. You know. Push yourselves, do something out of the norm, because this book is all about that. You know, I was a privileged boy. I was a timid boy. I wasn't a very strong or tough boy. Uh, you know, I had everything uh, really on a silver platter, literally. I really did. I was so spoiled in every aspect. But I, I, I didn't just think that was good enough for me. You know, I left. I moved to Delhi. My was my first move. You know, I stayed in army cantonment area. I was, of course, the army really looked after me and very good uh, officers, like I mentioned earlier, who really were supportive. But it's still away from my family, away from my friends. 
because I wanted something which was very, uh, you know, far-fetched. So I keep telling, and when you read this book, it's not about a question, it's not about sport, it's about getting those stories out. And the next thing, the reason I wanted to do was really to thank all the people. You just see this book. It's amazing the amount of people that came into my life at all points of it, just at the right time to take me to the next step. So whenever I was on a ladder about to fall, they were like somebody there standing there holding me and saying, no, 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 we are here. Keep, keep climbing, keep climbing. And it was just amazing. Otherwise, I would have fallen, I would have fallen to the ground and maybe I, never, I wouldn't have uh, started climbing again. But every time I went one step down, I had an angel come there and literally support me. And it was, and it didn't matter. It was in India, whether it was Australia, so it was not, you know, bound by country or bound by nationality or bound by anything, you know. Uh, these people came in. And same with the horses. Every stage of my life, I had the most amazing horse that came into my life. How, when, it's all in the book. It's just, it's like a fairy tale, actually. And, uh, you know, I was lucky. So, Imtiaz, if people want to buy this book, where can they find it? Uh, Amazon. Right now, it's available on Amazon. So, I really wish all, firstly, all parents, please buy the book and read it because it's about telling your children to live their dream and not holding them back. Kids, please read it because it tells you that there's, you know, you've got to be resilient. You've got to be hardworking and failures do happen, but never give in. My school motto, Lawrence School Sana, that's the one thing that's on the wall and you read it every day and our school song we had to sing every day was never give in is our motto. <laughs> so you never ever give it. So it's instilled in me. Whatever happens, you do not give it. Now fantastic. I mean it was so refreshing speaking to you. I mean I could go on and there's so <laughs> much I'm sure one can go on speaking about horses. But uh, I, I promise you, I'm going to make a trip to Nargo one of these days. I'm, I'm looking forward to it and I hope other people come as well. Uh, you know, they can send me a message, send me an email. Uh, definitely, just come for the experience. You know, we have people who've never seen a horse or never touched a horse. And to people who are riding at top level, it doesn't matter. It's an amazing, amazing animal and it's so fun, so good for their kids because it really teaches them uh, to, uh, you know, it builds their character. Let me put it that way. It really does. It's just uh, very therapeutic. Great. So thank you so much, Imtiaz. I think it's uh, we've almost spent almost an hour. You know, oh my god, I know. I just flew by. Uh, and thank, you thank you again for having me. Now, anytime, anytime, and thank yeah, you. Lovely, so much. lovely. It's yeah. just been wonderful. Yes, take care, and hopefully we shall catch up soon. Thank you again. All right, bye. take care. Take care. Bye. See you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed this Sochcast. What is your Soch? Send us your comments on our Facebook page and Instagram page. It's time for you to do your own Sochcast at Sochcast. Apni soch, dunia ko sunao. Sochcast.